This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. It's good to see you here on this beautiful Lord's Day. Fall is my favorite time of the year. Love it. And uh, you ought to feel religious on a day like today. You surely should. And I'm going to talk to you about something that is really delightful. Honestly, it is restoration. That word simply means to bring back to its original condition what it was originally designed to do, meant to do. And I love to restore things. I'd be dangerous if I had an unlimited storage facility at my place because in days gone by, I have bought junk tractors that had some emotional connection with me and uh, particularly a Jubilee Ford. We had one when I was a kid on the farm, and it had a warm spot in my heart. And I bought it and took it all apart. Motor, transmission, uh, the, the gearbox, I should say, the, 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 all the parts of its body or shell, painted them all to original color. Ooh, I'm proud of that thing. And then I sold it because I had to move to Missouri. <laughs> but it was a delightful exercise. I like to restore things. God is in the restoration business, by the way. Be it a nation or be it a, a, a church. Or we may be talking about a family that is shattered and broken. God loves to restore things even individuals. And whether we're talking about nations or whether we're talking about churches or whether we're talking about movements or families or individuals, the recipe seems to be the same. God has a recipe for restoration. You know where it begins? What Pastor... Joe has been talking about for weeks. It begins with prayer. But not just prayer, not just prayer alone. Prayer plus repentance. Well, I don't know whether I have anything to repent of. <laughs> well, I dare say that you will. Prayer plus repentance plus obedience equals restoration. And so I want to go to a familiar passage of Scripture, one that probably most of us could quote from memory. It was directed to the nation of Israel. By extension, we can apply it to the United States of America. We can apply it to this church. You can apply it to your family Let's go there, Second Chronicles. You know it, Second Chronicles chapter 7. And it begins when, King James, I believe, begins with the word if. If I shut up heaven, or when I shut up the heavens, so that there is no rain, or I command the locust to devour the land, or send a plague or a pestilence among my people. We ought to be able to identify with that. If my people who are called by my name 
shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and, oh boy, here's the part where we're reluctant to do, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. The recipe for restoration. I, uh, this, this message has burned on my heart a long, long time. In fact, I guess the seeds of it were birthed in my heart probably 50 years ago. I had the privilege of sitting under the tutelage of a great man of God, a great expositor by the name of Dr. Wingrove Taylor. Wow. I sat in awe of him. He dealt with this subject, and in fact, I'm indebted to him for a, a good bit of the formulation of what I will share with you today. But I remember, this is, this is back in the 70s now, folks, the United States was a different country back there. I mean, really. Wingrove Taylor wouldn't recognize it today, but I remember him with tears lamenting the moral decline and the spiritual disintegration of the country and, and the degree of corruption, and he enumerated Numerous, numerous aspects of things that have were off the rails. I've, I've thought as I prepared this, oh, Dr. Wingrove, if you'd be here today, he's in heaven. I'm glad he doesn't know. There's no, there's, those were the good old days. And we, we, we have seen that point in time, Pastor Joe referenced it in his prayer when I, that Isaiah warned, warned us of, when men would call good evil, and they'd call evil good. <laughs> A world that's turned upside down. And without boring you with things that you already know. And, and this can be a downer. Actually, can it can get to me? It gets to me. It's reading. I've kind of turned off the news. I just had to. Is that we're sitting on a front row seat? We have a ringside seat to the dismantling of the greatness of a great nation that has enjoyed the blessing of God, and a direct attack on everything you are and you believe in the dismantling of the Judeo-Christian ethic right down to the point of the work ethic that we all looked upon as being good. All of it is under attack. I could despair. I, old, old men have a tendency to despair. Oh, they've just ruined everything. Can get to you. You can get. You can turn into a crank. Do you allow it to get to you? 
But then I read the Word of God. And I recognize that God is in the restoration business. And I recognize that there's nothing too hard for our God. Nothing! Be it the disruption of your family and the venom and the hatred some members might have for others and haven't spoken to each other for years. How could God fix such a thing? I look out upon the landscape of America and I say, it's all over but the crime. But then I remember God. Can the Democrats ever learn to get along with the Republicans and the Republicans ever learn to get along with the Democrats? We hate each other. And now it's reached another level of race. Oh, I thought we were making progress. I thought we were. But it seems like everything has spun out of control. Man, there's no way. Are we going to experience a civil war? What's the solution to this? And then I read God's promise of restoration and the clear recipe he gives for restoration. And so I want us to look at this, and though I know it is specifically targeted to Israel, but the principles remain the same, What does it mean? How are we to apply this to our hearts? So the first thing I want to impress upon you, and you have it in your bulletin, you can fill in the slot if you'd like, that restoration is crucial. Say that with me. Restoration is what? Crucial. Crucial. Critical. Notice what he says. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Now, yeah, he, he, he may possibly have been referencing literal rain because there were times when God disciplined Israel by withholding rain, right? Brought judgment upon Israel. You remember the time of Elijah when he shut up the heavens for three years and there was no rain? But the application, I think, is broader than that. Rain is emblematic of the blessings of God showered upon a people. The benevolence of God. I need that for my family. We need that as our nation. We need God's face and not his back. We need the early and the latter rains, as it were. Oh, to shower upon us. You remember right after 9-11 that Larry King on his program interviewed the daughter of Billy Graham and and he kind of with a curl on his lips said, uh, how how could your God allow such a thing? How, how How can a good God allow this to befall America? Anne's answer was perfect, I think. She said, oh, Larry... Larry, for the last number of years, decades, we've ruled God out of the public square and said, you're not welcome here. We've taken him out of our courthouses. We've taken him out of our schools. We've said, no, 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 no. You're not welcome here. 
We've ruled him out of our nation. And then when a thing like this befalls us, we say, oh, where is God? Why would God allow this? She said, God is a gentleman. We've shown him the door. We've deliberately moved out from under his umbrella of protection. (laughs) Israel has what they call an iron dome. I want to tell you something far better than an iron dome. It is the protection of God. It is his benevolence. God showers. He says, but if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, there will be serious consequences. Our, our, our enrichment is at stake. Our, our very existence is at stake. Our effectiveness is at stake. Do you realize how futile things are or effort is without, without rain? Do you understand? I, I related the story this morning in the earlier service. I dredged it out of the barrel again of a time when I was a youngster on the farm. We, we farmed, uh, man, we were big time farmers. 160 acres. We thought we were big time. Down there in the Ozark Hills. And Dad had a business in town, so we boys farmed the farm. And uh, he said, guys, I know it's been forever since we've had a rain, but hey, go out there and plow it up. Back in those days, they didn't have no till. <laughs> it was plow it up. We plowed it up. Man, you couldn't keep the plow on the ground. It'd jump out. And, and what we were able to turn over just lay over there in big old slabs, big old clods. And our job was to create a, a seedbed for the tender plants in which to, to grow. But he, he said, what do we do, Dad? You can't plant in something like that. He said, disc it up, boys. Boy, this was before the day of power steering. It, it about jerked the steering wheel out of my hand, that old narrow John Deere tractor. <laughs> Hit them big clods back this way and across that way. You know what? I I know I I was probably just imagining it, but it just seemed to me that this old clod over here was saying to this old clod, I don't care what he does. I'm not having one thing to do with you. Kind of reminds you of a nation, doesn't it? I said, Dad, are we going to go ahead and plant the seed? It's costly. Yeah. Guys, we'll just plant it. We'll see what happens. I thought, this is a, this is a, a useless endeavor. Well, we planted the seed, and, and maybe there was just enough dew to cause it to generate. And I saw the little plants coming up. They looked pretty sick. Little yellow things. The hot blasts of wind was able to come in and penetrate to the very roots, dry it up and kill it and blight it and blast it. It just lay over there limp like it's all over. It's all over. I could take you to the very spot, the very hill on which I stood when suddenly I felt a breeze. Whoa! 
That felt different. And then I smelled something. That acrid smell that can sometimes precede a rain. Whoa! I smell it! (laughs) You can smell a rain sometimes. And then I saw those first big dimples in that dust. Spatter! Big drops. Each one of them looked like it'd drown you, but and then it began to rain. Whoa, it began to rain. I remember just just standing out there and letting it drench me. Oh, the rain did come. And buddy, did it rain. Did it ever rain? About 45 minutes it rained like there would be no end. And to my utter astonishment, that field that I had just worked so hard in, and tried to bring all of it together, those old clogs that wouldn't fellowship with each other, <laughs> wouldn't even speak, wouldn't have anything to do with each other, without any effort on my part whatsoever. They just flowed together, closed in around those little roots, lost their individuality and their identity and their arguments (laughs) and created a beautiful field. And then just a little while I saw those little plants that I thought were goners. They just stood right up straight again and nice and green in a day or two. It all came about as a result of the rain. Friends, don't lose hope. All we need is God. And I I stop at this point and point out to you that this recipe for restoration says nothing whatsoever about those wicked people out there. Those worldly people out there. Are you hearing me? Israel had lots of enemies. The Moabites and the the Amorites and and the Egyptians. Where do I do I find them enumerated here? Now if they'll just come to their senses and come back to God. There's not one reference. They're not even implied. That isn't the focus at all. It isn't the political parties. It isn't those who are allowing themselves to be corrupted by bribes and and influence peddling and getting rich off our tax money. He he mentions none of them. None! This is amazing to me. He focuses on one group of people. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves. This principle applies across the board, folks. If you're lamenting the breakup of your family, yeah, if they would just do what... No, 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 no. You start right here. You claim to know God. Fall on your knees and humble yourself and say, God, search me. (laughs) You'd be surprised how God begins to change things over on the other side. Hello? If my people 
If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. If I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. We need him. Oh God, the skies are as brass. The rains have not come for so long. But he's still the God of restoration. And he's the God who is one pent-up revival, somebody said. You don't have to beg him to get him into the notion. He's already in the notion. And so that brings me to a second important consideration. Restoration is conditional. Do you see that on the screen? And in your bulletin, put it down. Say it with me. Restoration is conditional. Notice what he says. If I shut up heaven, or when I shut up heaven, but over against that he says, if, whoa, is that a big word? Only two letters, but that's a big word. If my people who are called by my name. Hmm, that puts the onus right on us, crowd. The magnifying glass has been focused in such a way the heat is on you and it's on me. If my people. Yeah, but if the Methodist. No. Well, if only the Baptist. Forget that. If those right here. Hey. I'm not responsible for the Methodists, nor the Baptists, nor the Presbyterians, nor the Christian church. All wonderful people. I love them. They're my neighbors. I fellowship with them. But, but, but I'm, talking, I'm talking to you. He is saying, if, if you will humbly pray and Seek my face and turn from your wicked way. Whoa! Us? No, 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 Richard, Richard. <laughs> you kind of momentarily forgot. You're getting old, buddy. You forgot where you were. You're talking to the folk that attend Pastor Joe's church. I used to think maybe, God, you, you got this in reverse order. I would start with, if they'll just turn from their wicked way. And then go on down to prayer. But man, first of all, you've got to turn from your wicked way. You, God, you've got this backwards. No, he didn't make a mistake. In essence, God is saying... Until you humble yourself and begin praying and begin seeking my face, you likely won't have a foggy notion as to what your wicked way is. It takes God turning on the searchlight. <laughs> that makes me squirm a bit, huh? Crystal has been leading our midweek study. Whoa, if you're not 
if you're not in a small group, Dr. Wyant and Crystal, are, they, they're hitting a home run every, every week. She made, she made a comment the other day that Isaiah was probably the most righteous man of his time. Most righteous man of his whole nation. But he, he, he declared himself in the year that Uzziah died or Uzziah died. I was in the temple and I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the whole temple. And God's Shekinah glory came down. And what happened? This most righteous man in the whole nation cried out, Woe is me! Woe is me, oh God! Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in a nation of unclean lips. And I say to you, if God's Shekinah would, for whatever reason, come right now in his fullness, I know, I know without a doubt, old Beckham would be groveling on the floor saying, my God, my God, my God, I didn't know that. I didn't see that. I'm sorry I didn't. It's only when God sends the searchlight. Y'all getting along okay? Conditional. Conditional. If my people which are called by my name. But here's the good part. Let's go to the next thing I want to impress upon you. It is not only conditional. Restoration is, here's a big word, covenantal. In essence, God makes a covenant with you. And he says, if you will... And he gives these four things. If you will, I will. Not maybe. Not hope so. God says, if you will, I will. I enter into a covenant. God never breaks his promises. Never. That's amazing. I will, first of all, he says, I will. You humble yourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked way. I will, I will hear. I, I will, I will hear. That's astonishing to me that God, I looked up into the stars last night and as preparation for this, I was praying out late and looking up and the constellations and all suspended in hell there and symmetry is beautiful and it never gets out of place. And I say, God, you're the one we're looking to and you'll hear me. I say, God, I'm such a speck. I'm the speck. And yet God says, I will hear. You ever get the feeling God isn't hearing you when you pray? <laughs> I get frustrated when my wife won't hear what I have to say. Um, she hates it when I use her for an illustration. <laughs> I get on thin ice. I, I, I was t- telling the folk this morning in the early service, in this day of the cell phone, we're always connected, right? You're always supposed to have them on, except in church, at our funeral. 
My wife loves the shop. Oh, dear Lord, she loves the shop. I don't understand it. She just loves to go in there and turn that stuff over. Just Nuh-uh, nuh-uh. I refuse. I spend a lot of windshield time. <laughs> and me and those Toyota cars, we get real acquainted. But I always tell her when she gets out, I said, honey, just, just when you make your trek from your pilgrimage from, from, from Macy's to Dillard's to Penny's, you don't have to drive, walk all the way back. Just call me and I'll drive around, pick you up wherever you are. She likes that. And so I'm out there, windshield time. And I get a call, my cell phone, and boy, an emergency has hit at home. I got to get home. I got to get home. We got to get out of here. Oh, I'll just call her. <laughs> She's got that thing buried up in that purse right at the bottom. Well, I'll text her. <coughs> Nothing. I hear her sweet voice. This is Wanda Beckham. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not here. Take your call. Please call back. As soon as possible, I'll return your call. Man, that's frustrating. I'll have to admit that's one of my pet peeves. I'll admit to getting in the flesh and saying, Honey, what do you carry that thing for? Why am I paying this big Verizon bill if you don't have it to answer? It's frustrating. I'm sorry, I was in the dra- in this fitting room. I just didn't hear it. Well, all you men can relate, maybe. Yeah? Maybe it's the opposite way around. You, yeah, you're into your sports thing, and you just don't eat. Selective hearing, honey, I'm going to tell you, you got it. But let's get off of that. The point I'm making, it's frustrating when you're calling and you can't get. God says, don't worry about it. I have my phone on. I will hear. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? God says, I will hear. I, I will hear. But then he didn't stop there. I will hear from what? Heaven. Above it all, transcending it all, from his throne room, from his throne room, God says, I will hear from heaven. You might hear me, but you possibly can't do a thing about my dilemma. But God says, I will hear from heaven. 
the omnipotent one, the omniscient one. Amen. I will hear. Oh, that's wonderful. And then he says, I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. What is your impossibility this morning? No, no, yours. But oh, Brother Richard, if, if you only knew how, how my family was broken apart. I haven't spoken to them. They haven't spoken to me in years. It's, it's so grievous. It's so painful. It's, it's, it's horrible. And that poison is, is now coursing through the veins of a second generation and just poisoning the whole atmosphere. Holidays aren't even holidays anymore. Hello? What is your impossibility? Oh, if I only knew how to fix it. You don't know how to fix it. Probably the more you reach in and try and pull levers, the bigger mess it becomes. But God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive and I will heal their land. Whoa, what do you suppose? Is it possible for God to do something about this, 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 this acrimonious division in America? Well, if we could only get the right party in power up there. No! That's not the answer. (laughs) If our guy could just get elected. Friends, you're dreaming. You're dreaming. You're barking up the wrong tree. We need God to send the reins. He's our answer. Amen. Quickly. The last thing I want to leave with you. This is kind of a downer in a way. But restoration is communal. What I simply mean by that is what I do will profoundly impact those around me. But I'm just one person in this church. What you do, negatively or positively, will impact your family, impact those around you. You'd be shocked the degree to which it can have an impact. I am being blessed today, blessed today, blessed today by decisions that were not made by me at all, that were made by my grandparents. And I'm receiving the latter rains that are showering upon me and my family from generation to generation. On the other hand, I've seen this thing, brokenness, just perpetuated generation after generation. You can break that chain. You can break that chain. I was yesterday out at Harriman Chapel Cemetery one of my dear, dear friends from the past, Rosie Patterson, had passed away. And so we were out there at a committal service. And, and I, I looked down, and 
And there, right beside where Rosie was being buried, here was the name Ezra Hood. Woo-hoo! Memories began to fly. He was a part of this fellowship at one time. He lived here in the area in his older age. He was a retired pastor, and I had the privilege of preaching his funeral right over here in what is now our fellowship hall. In his old age, Ezra told me a story. It was a sad, sad story. Before he got through finishing uh, telling me the story, tears were in his eye and his his chin was uh, jumping up and down. It, It related to a pastorate, his first pastorate, if I recall correctly, over here at Iola, Kansas. Anybody know where Iola, Kansas is? Yeah. He said, we had a little cracker box church. He said, at 80 people, it would probably be chock-a-block full, and it was. He said, man, it didn't matter whether it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night. He said, that little place was popping and a-cracking. We were going to have to build to accommodate the people. We had a group of young people, he said, that were interested vitally in going with God. And he said, back in those days, we, we liked to have two revivals a year. We called them revivals, protracted revivals. And he said, this time I'd admonish the people, rather than us just making up our mind who we're going to call, let's just pray. Let's pray that God will send us an evangelist if he wants us to have one, or, or just give us the revival he wants us to have. He said, we'd been praying for that for a few, few weeks. And he said, would you believe one Wednesday night there walked into the congregation Walter E. Eisenhower. That name may not ring a bell with any of you, but Walter E. Eisenhower was an an evangelist, traveling evangelist, and he was an uncle of Dwight Eisenhower, though Dwight would come along as president many years later. But at any rate, he was, he was an amazing, Ezra said, Brother Eisenhower, you're preaching tonight. Wednesday night. He preached and God came. Man, he said, people were at the altar. Young people were seeking God. And he said, I had an epiphany. He said, we've been praying for an evangelist. We've been praying for revival. While people were praying with others, he slipped down to Brother Eisenhower and he said, Man, we've been praying for an evangelist. We've been praying for revival, for God to send us one. Could you possibly stay for a few days? He said, I felt directed to come. Yes, I anticipated this. I can can come. I can stay. Announce it if you want to. Brother Ezra stood up and he said, People, I have good news for you. We've been praying for revival. And he said, Here comes Brother Eisenhower. And we see what God's done. It's obvious to me. God wants to use him. He said, I'm announcing services tomorrow night and the next night and for however long God leads us. And then he called on a brother to dismiss. People were all, woohoo, yes. But as soon as that brother started praying the benediction prayer, Brother Ezra, he said, it was my first time pastor. I was just a young pastor. I sensed the presence beside me and looked up, and it was the most prominent member of the church. And he was saying, uh-uh, 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 nah. 
I, we're not going to do, we can't do this, brother. You know what kind of a preacher he is. He's one of those really hellfire and brimstone preachers. He said, no, I won't give a dime to it. Brother Ezra now is telling me this story, and he said, I didn't know what to do. I panicked. I, I, I didn't know how to respond. And but he said, when the people were about to leave, wait a minute, crowd, he said, I'm sorry, I've learned of a circumstance. I'm sorry to tell you, we're not going to be having services tomorrow night. And, the, and you could just, oh. And then it gets worse. Ezra told me, he said, it was like you reached over and flipped a switch. All the momentum, like the air was sucked out. And he said, we went from the 80s, and he said, that doesn't sound like a lot in today's world, but he said, man, that little church was bursting at the seam with 80. He said it was down in the 60s, and then it went down in the 50s, and then it went down in the 40s. Over a few months, the teens all left. He said, when it got into the 20s, he said, man, my heart was so broken. He said, I, I resign. I said, I guess I'm done here. He said, Richard, how long do you suppose it was? We were seeing people saved almost every service. He said, how long do you suppose it was before the next person ever bowed at that altar? I said, well, maybe, maybe six months, a year. Oh, he said, I wish. He said, I was long gone. But he said they reported back to me that in 15 years, one more came to the altar, kind of a warm over. In a little while, they sold the building, turned it into a flea market. That's scary. That's plum spooky. How would God allow such a thing? I don't know the answer to that. What, that God would uh, allow one man to stand in the way of his blessing over a whole congregation of people? Pastor Joe can explain that to you. <laughs> I don't have the answer to that. All I know is that what he told me. That one person's either positive response or negative response can have a profound impact. And what you do <laughs> may not affect the whole church, but it'll affect a circle around you. Huh? I want to tell you, that's the reason I better be pretty careful about my attitude. Hear me now, crowd. I have a responsibility because my negativity can become contagious. So can my enthusiasm. So quiet. <laughs> Pastor Joe, I want you to come up here and close this out. Where is this little thing you gave us to put in our Bibles? You know what it says, first of all, the six dangerous prayers to pray. It starts out with, search me, O God. Search me, O God. Then the next one is, break me, stretch me, fill me, lead me, fill me. That's what God wants to do. 
but it starts with me allowing God to search me. To see if there's some wicked way in me. Oh, I want my my kids to serve God and my grandkids now. I pray for them often. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Right on down to the greats now, Lord. I don't want one of them to miss it. And the Lord says, okay, Gramps. It's on you, largely. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk humbly with me? Are you going to pray, seek my face, and let God rid you of any attitude? Hey, he didn't speak to Joe about my kids and my grandkids. He spoke to me. The onus is on me. The onus is on you. What are you going to do? God says, I will hear from heaven. I will. I'll hear. I'll restore. But it will begin with you. Pastor Joe, come. Either dismiss us with prayer or just whatever you want to do. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.